0: Last week we were talking about Jesus' statement that those people who go through the narrow gate, the narrow way, will be the ones who enter in the kingdom of heaven. So those who enter through the narrow gate, who go through the narrow way, will be the ones who are entered into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said this because there were many people that he was meeting with many people who were talking with who just assumed that, of course, they're the ones who are going to be in the kingdom of God. Many of the scribes and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they all expected that essentially every Israelite, every Jewish man, every Jewish woman would be entering in the kingdom of God. And Jesus was saying that's not the case. That the, only the people who are following Jesus, who are trusting in Jesus, will enter into, into that kingdom And Jesus drew a distinction. He drew a distinction between people who were familiar with Jesus, people who might have sat with him at a table, people who might have heard him teach in the streets, who might have recognized him because they grew up beside him. But he made a distinction between those who were familiar with him and those who were following him. In our passage today, Jesus kind of continues this conversation and he describes what a heart of a follower of Christ looks like. And he draws us in a stark contrast between those who are familiar with Christ and what their heart might look like. So we want to look at three different sections of scripture today in the book of Luke chapter 14 and what the heart of the disciple looks like. A heart of the disciple has mercy, it has humility, and the heart of the disciple abides with Christ. So let's look at each of those. First of all, a disciple of Jesus, someone who is on the narrow way, thank you, Matt, is one who has mercy in his heart. One Sabbath. This is Luke chapter 14 verse 1 through 6. One Sabbath when he went to eat at the house of a leading Pharisee, they were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the law experts, the scribes and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took the man and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could find no answer to these things. What we find in Luke chapter 14 was a familiar scene in Jesus' ministry. Jesus with the Pharisees on his Sabbath day, sharing a meal with them, arguing about what he could or could not do on that day. And there was an understanding of the day that work shouldn't be done on the Sabbath. It was one of the Ten Commandments, that not, you shall not work on the Sabbath day, you should keep it holy. And one of the ways that they interpreted that law was by saying that you shouldn't do any work. And one work you shouldn't do is you shouldn't heal anybody. Now there was an exception for like emergency medical situations. Like if somebody's about to die, you could save their life. But if a medical procedure could be postponed to another day of the week, they said, well, you should do that. But here Jesus is sitting at a banquet with these men. And they were looking for a way to catch him. They were looking for a way to condemn him. <clears throat> they were looking for a way to make him look guilty. And Jesus sees a man whose body was, was wrecked with, with dropsy. It was filled with fluid. And he looks at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and he says, Is it lawful for me to heal this man on the Sabbath? And once again, they didn't want to give an answer. They didn't want to give an answer because they did not, because they didn't want to, because they wanted to catch him. They wanted to trap him. So Jesus takes this man, he heals him on the Sabbath, and then he condemns the Pharisees and the the scribes by saying, which of you, if you had a son fall in the pit, would not pull your son out? Which of you? If your ox or a donkey fell into the pit on a Sabbath day, wouldn't do your very best to get them out of that pit? If that's acceptable to do on the Sabbath day, why shouldn't God want this man to be healed on the Sabbath day? Jesus was telling us what a follower of Christ's heart should look like. That if you are a follower of Christ, that our hearts should be filled with mercy. And that's what Jesus showed to the man who was suffering in this text today. He showed him mercy by healing him. Even in the old confessions, when you read the old confessions of faith written throughout history, and they're starting to describe the Sabbath day and how to keep the Sabbath day, they always allow for two things. They allow for works of necessity And they allow for works of mercy. That's why if you're a doctor or a first responder and you're working on the Sabbath day, most people are like, yeah, that's legit. That's good. Why? It's a work of necessity. We need doctors. We need nurses. We need police officers. We need firefighters working on the Sabbath. They are works of necessity. But also Jesus is saying on the Sabbath day, we need to also do works of mercy. That if somebody is in need, if somebody needs help, if somebody needs some care or some love, that that is a good thing to do. Our mercy can be shown on the Sabbath day, but also on every day of the week. We need to care for the whole person and not just for a person's soul. We need to be people who are merciful. One of the ways that we show mercy, as I was thinking about this this week, one of the ways that we show mercy is by being people of forgiveness. That when somebody sins against us, when somebody hurts us, when somebody wounds us, as followers of Christ, we need to be people who are able to say, I forgive you for your sin against me. We see this is something that Jesus even said when he was teaching us how to pray when he said forgive us our sins as we forgive others who sin against us we see this example of jesus on the cross when he says father forgive them for they know not what they do we see this in the uh, in the deacon stephen in the book of acts whenever he is falsely accused and he is dragged out into the square to be stoned to death as the rocks are falling upon him he looks up to heaven and prays for the forgiveness of those who are murdering him. People who have been forgiven much need to forgive much. We need to be people of mercy. Jesus contrasts this heart of mercy with people in the Bible here who were familiar with him. They sat across the table from him, but they did not know him. They did not follow him. And they are described as people of being hard of heart. Disciples of Jesus need to have merciful, soft hearts. And he is saying those who don't know Christ, people who are familiar with Christ but aren't following after him, that they have these hardened hearts. We see this in the book of Mark chapter 3 whenever there's a familiar scene where Jesus is once again at the dinner table with the Pharisees. And he asked the same question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because there was a man there with a withered hand. And when they would not answer Jesus in this instant, he forgave the man's sins and called him to stretch out his hand, and Jesus healed him. And in that text in Mark chapter 3, it says that Jesus was looking around the room at these Pharisees, at these scribes, that their hearts were filled with anger, And they had hard hearts. A lack of trust in God oftentimes leads us to be stingy with others. A lack of trust in God leads us to be unforgiving to other people. When you think about your life, when you think about your heart, do you have people that you just don't want to forgive? Do you have people that that your heart just wants to be stingy towards them? That your heart just wants to hold on to the resentment that you have? Because your heart takes delight in being able to complain about this other person. Jesus said that the heart of a disciple is one who is filled with mercy. People who are familiar with Jesus but but who didn't follow Jesus were described in this text as being merciless. They wanted to leave the man disabled. They wanted to leave another man with his hand shriveled. They wanted to leave lepers unclean. And they wanted to leave sinners hopeless. But Jesus has called his people to be merciful. Think about it this way. Even in last week when we were in Luke chapter 13 and Jesus said, I need to go to Jerusalem because I'm gonna die in Jerusalem. So Jesus knew he was going to go to the city, he was going to be betrayed, that he was going to be crucified and killed. He knew that was going to happen to him. But then in Luke chapter 13, he says this in verse 34, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Did you catch that? He essentially said, I'm going to go to this place and be betrayed and be killed. How I long to show you my love. How I long to offer you forgiveness. Do you see the contrast there? Oftentimes what we want to do to those who hurt us is we want to strike out. We want to hurt in return. That we want them to feel a little bit about what we feel. But Jesus is setting the example for his disciples and says that when we are hurt, we do not seek revenge, but rather we show mercy, we show forgiveness, we show gentleness. And even when we are sinned against, this is the heart that we need to portray to the world around us. I think it's important for us to draw a picture of the heart of the disciple. Because I think it can be lost in our society. and I think it can be lost in the, in the Western church. And it's something that we need to just remind one another about. I think that's hit me hard this week in thinking about it. Um, I, I teach different classes throughout the week at a a local school where we're teaching like Christian worldview, how to think like a Christian. And so I'm engaging with teenagers throughout the week. Uh, Before that and during that also, I used to be a youth pastor and I'd see young people come through my youth ministry. Um, And one of the things I saw was early on in someone's life. It's like their heart's direction is set on a course that whenever I talk about what God has done for us in Christ and how Christ has called us to live. And we look at the commands of God. Even in young teenagers, I see this wall built up where they're like, I don't want that. I don't like that. In fact, when I look at the commands of God, they look mean. And I see that being set in the hearts of young people and teenagers before they can even drive. We as disciples of Christ need to know what a heart of a disciple looks like so we can live that out and, and be faithful to Christ, but also model it to our young people who are, who are growing up in this culture. One of the things I love about our church is, is how filled we are with children. Like if, when I hear a one-year-old or Two-year-old in our service making noise or dropping a toy. I don't get annoyed, but I'm like, oh, man, thank God that they're in here. I'm thankful that we have a growing number of of older elementary and young teenagers. Because I think, man, here we are. We get to show them and we get to teach them what it looks like to follow after Christ. But what it takes is us understanding what it means to follow after Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus here in this text is showing us that one of the things that it means to follow Christ, to know him, is to have a heart filled with mercy. The next thing Jesus shows us is that not only do we need to have a a heart that's full of mercy, but we also need to have a heart that's filled with humility. We see this in verses 7 through 14. And Jesus told them a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor because a person more distinguished than you may have been invited by your host. And the one invited both of you may come to you and say, give your place to this man. And then in humiliation, you'll be perceived to take the lowest place. The way that these banquets were set up were not the way that we would set up banquets. We used tables, we used chairs. They didn't have this in first century Judaism. But what they had were these very low tables to the ground. And rather than sitting at a chair, at a table, they would actually recline on the ground on their left elbow. And then they would be able to eat with their right hand. And that's how they ate dinner in this first century century sounds very uncomfortable to me. It's like I can't stay in that position long enough. But um, the way they would set these banquets up would be in the shape of a U. They'd set these little platforms up in the shape of a U. And the most honored place at a banquet was like at the bottom of the U. And you were on the farthest left of the table, so there was no one on the other side of you. And if you were the person who was the most respected, the most honored, that was your place. And then... They had other places that were the next and the next most honorable. And so you kind of knew your station and you'd fall into your place. And what Jesus noticed when he went to this banquet was how people were like making a mad dash to the places of honor. They wanted to be the one who said, I am the most respected. I have the highest station here. And Jesus saw what was going on and he said, listen, listen. Your heart is filled with hubris. Your heart is filled with pride. And he tells them this story about a wedding banquet and said, listen, when you go to a wedding banquet, you don't go and assume the highest seat of honor. Because what happens when someone more respected than you comes in and the host of the dinner party says, I have this person of great honor at my party and you're asked to move. And you're demoted in front of everybody. He says this in verse 10. He says, but when you are invited, go and sit. This is verse 10. Go and sit in the lowest place so that the one who invites you come, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. How embarrassing. Could you imagine if this happened to you? Like you sit down and, and someone comes and says I'm sorry. You're in the seat of honor and it's for the most important person at this party. Could you move for me? Like how hard would that be? How embarrassing? How humiliating would that be? But at the same time How much honor would it be if you go to a party and you just assume, not hubris, but humility, and you take the least important seat. And the dinner host comes up to you and he says, what are you doing in this seat? Come, let me put you in the seat of honor. And that's what Jesus is talking to these these Pharisees about. And, And by the way, this had to be like the most awkward dinner dinner party ever in history, right? Uh, There's there's all this tension about this man being healed on the Sabbath. There's all this vying for, for the best seat. But Jesus says, listen, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Think about this dinner party. Was there somebody at this dinner party that deserved honor? Who was the most important person there? Well, yeah, you had the rabbi, Jesus, present. The one that everybody's eyes were going to at the dinner party. Everybody was watching him. Everybody was paying attention to him. And he's just not some country rabbi. This is the son of God. But what were they doing? They were all vying for positions of honor higher than the son of God. Jesus is saying that the heart of Of a disciple is not filled with hubris, but rather is filled with humility. Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul puts it this way Do not think of yourselves as more highly than you ought. He says it this way in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Jesus said that the heart of a disciple is a heart that is filled with humility. That you don't build yourself up, you don't self-aggrandize, you're not filled with this pride or this hubris, but rather that when you think of other people, you think of them as more important than yourselves. There's, this, there's a story in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus is walking down the road with his disciples. He's a little bit far off from the disciples. And as he's watching his disciples, he can hear this debate taking place, this argument <laughs> happening. And when they get to their destination, Jesus turns and he looks to his disciples and he says, Guys, it kind of looks like y'all were arguing on the way here. What what were you fighting about? And the disciples had to confess that what they were fighting about is that they were asking the question: Who is greatest? Here they are with Jesus, the Son of God, and they're debating who is the greatest. They were vying for seats of honor. James and John's mother actually went to Jesus and said, Jesus, when you take the throne of your kingdom, can my son sit at your left and right? We find that even this vying for seats of honor, this vying for, for position and stature happens even within the people of God. Do you know what Jesus did when they said they were fighting about who's the greatest? And they said, Jesus, who's the greatest? You you settle this for us. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? What Jesus did is Jesus took up a small child who had no status socially, who had no power socially. He stood this child up and he said, this is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And he told the disciples, whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. How do we know if we have humble hearts? I think we know we have humble hearts when we're not chasing after honor. When we're not chasing after position. And when we welcome other people in the name of Jesus Jesus turned to the host of the dinner party where he was attending and he says this in verse 12 He also said to the one who had invited him When you give a lunch or a dinner don't invite your friends or your brothers or your sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors because they might invite you back and you would be repaid On the contrary when you host a banquet invite those who are poor Who are maimed, who are lame, or blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What was Jesus saying in this parable to the host of the banquet? What was Jesus saying to the disciples along the road? He was saying that disciples of Jesus, people of the narrow way, That their hearts are filled with humility and one of the ways that you can see their humility is that they are willing to serve everyone. That they do not view themselves as being above any service. When we think about that we have to ask ourselves the question who am I serving? The life of of a disciple of Christ is a life of service and not serving so that we can be built up, but rather serving those who can't repay us anything. Jesus said when he was teaching us how to pray in that same section, he says, whenever you go out and you serve, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We don't serve in order to get repaid. We serve because God was willing to serve us and Jesus Christ. And we see his example for us and we are filled with his spirit and we serve in the same way. Hearts of, filled with Jesus and Jesus' spirit are hearts of humility and service. They're hearts filled with mercy. And then finally, hearts who are directed toward Jesus, who are following after Jesus are hearts that abide with Christ. How do we have hearts of mercy? How do we have hearts filled with humility and service? These things don't come natural to us, do they? We don't want to do that. We want to be served rather than serve. We want to hold on to our grudges and and be angry at those who hurt us. But yet Jesus is calling us to turn away from that lifestyle and turn towards mercy and humility. I think it happens when we abide with Jesus. Jesus. It's at this banquet table. Maybe someone else saw the awkwardness of the dinner party. Like everyone's angry at Jesus. Jesus just healed somebody. Jesus just just kind of insulted everybody by saying, listen, y'all are all vying for the seat of most honor. You've invited the wrong people to your dinner party. So there's just this, this tension in the room. And so maybe someone's trying to cut the tension. And he says this in verse 15. Blessed is the one who will eat bread at the kingdom of God. Once again, with the assumption that that's all of us here. That's all of us present. And then Jesus began to tell another parable. That the king gave a banquet and invited many people. And the people who thought they were invited to this banquet, when the tank, tank, tank came time for the banquet, what did they do? They all began to give excuses. Well, I would go to the banquet, but I just bought a field and I need to go check it out. I would go to the banquet, but I just bought five oxen and I need to go try them out. I would come to your banquet, king, but I just got married. And, you know, we we just kind of want to hang out together. The people who thought that they deserved to be in the banquet, the people who thought, I'm a shoe in all gave excuses to the king about why they could not come. Think about their excuses, though. Were they legitimate excuses? You bought a field. It's not like that field is going anywhere. You could go to the banquet, and then tomorrow go check out your purchase of the field. Those oxen, I mean, we don't, we don't buy a car first without kicking the tires, right? Are you going to buy five oxen without first knowing what oxen you bought? No. Like, he knew what type of oxen he had. It was an excuse. And just married? All right, yeah, congratulations, you just got married. In the Old Testament, there was a law that said when you were married, you were exempted from military service up to a year That was military service, but what it wasn't, and some of you are saying, man, that would kind of be nice, Um, but what it wasn't, it it wasn't a reason to exclude yourself from social engagements. They were all excuses about why they could not follow after the king. I think it is a warning to all of us that we do not need to make excuses in following the king of righteousness. That if we live a life full of excuses of why we can't follow the king, what we will do is we will exclude ourselves from the kingdom of God. Jesus was teaching us and showing us that if you are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, you won't live a life of excuses, but rather you will live a life of abiding with Jesus. What does it mean to abide with Christ? Scripture tells us. To abide with Christ means we respond to Christ's grace that he offers us. Who ended up coming to this banquet? People who shouldn't have been there. People who didn't deserve to be there. They were the blind, the maimed, the lame. People who were on the roadside, out in the hedges. He said, I want my house to be filled. Just throw out the invitations. And bring in the people. They were people who were just receiving the grace of the banquet host. Who abides with Christ but people who respond to his grace? How do we abide with Christ? We respond to his grace, but we also respond to his word. That the way we abide with Jesus is by listening to his word, by putting ourselves into the word. It says this in John chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus said, If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, when you ask for anything in my name, it will be given to you. What was Jesus saying? That abiding means we're responding to Jesus, but we're also putting ourselves in the context of the word of God, where we are coming to church to hear it preached and sung and prayed, that we're going to community groups where we can hear the word by other believers, that we pursue the word of God in our own private worship, that we share the word of God around our dinner tables with our families or with our roommates, that we are just living a life saturated with God's words, that we're responding to his grace, but also that when we read God's word, we obey it. What does it mean to abide in Christ, to respond to his grace, to immerse ourselves in his word, and to keep his commandments. John 15, 10, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do we find ourselves like the initial invited guests, making excuses about why we can't obey making excuses about why we can't follow? Or are we people who are responding to God's grace, responding to his word, and obedient to him? The heart of a disciple is a heart that's filled with mercy. It's a heart that's filled with humility. And it's a heart that abides in Christ. Let us abide in Christ together. Let's stand and pray.